This is the Alpha Universe Podcast. I'm Christopher Robinson, editor of alphauniverse.com. And in today's show, I'm speaking with the multi-talented photographer and Sony Alpha Imaging Collective member, Dave Krugman. We discuss his love of vintage lenses, how he works to be a well-rounded and diverse photographer, and how he became a social media star. In Tech Talk, Sony's LD Nadia explains how Sony cameras capture 6K video footage to create 4K output. Then we get a do this now tip from Dave Krugman to help you boost your social media presence. Dave Krugman always wanted to be a photographer. At 29 years old, he's very much a part of the digital generation, but he got his start with film and vintage cameras and lenses. In his family, photography was a multi-generational avocation. Dave grew up in a household where both his father and grandfather had been avid amateurs who actually built their own darkroom in their home. Those experiences have stuck with him, and they're an integral part of why he migrated to Sony mirrorless cameras. With his film-based sensibilities serving as a foundation, and the striking possibilities that are opening up through social media, Dave Krugman is quietly going about setting the photo world on fire. Dave, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So you actually got started shooting with film? Yeah. So my very first experience with photography was at summer camp. You know, we had a little dark room and we had some old uh, Nikon, I think F1s. And we would shoot black and white film, you know, down by the lake or in the forest and then come back and, you know, develop our own film and make prints in the dark room. And I think the moment that really stood out to me and when I think back about uh, my journey in this in this field is watching that you know, sliding the paper into the developer and watching this image come out. I know that's an experience that a lot of photographers share is that that magical moment when you realize like, oh, wow, this is this is something really special. Do you find that that you shoot a little bit like a film photographer, even when you're shooting with your digital cameras? Um, Yeah, I do sometimes because I think it's so easy to fall victim to a kind of, um, you know, what's the term? Uh, spray and pray (laughs) technique where, you know, when your camera can shoot 24 frames a second, it's, uh, you kind of err on the side of overshooting. So I try to slow down a little bit and have a more conscious approach to, to my craft. One way that I kind of bring the old world back into my, you know, new technology is I use a lot of vintage lenses that, you know, my grandfather had collected over the years. And that's one of the reasons I actually love the Sony mirrorless system. Uh, and the alpha because it's so adaptable and I'm, you know, I use all sorts of different old Nikon, old Leica, uh, all this old glass that you have to slow down because, you know, you're, it's all manual focus. There's no electronic communication. Uh, and you really have to take your time with focus and, and make, making sure you're really getting it in that shallow depth of field. Is that what drove you to the Sony system was the adaptability? Yeah. So when I, you know, I was always into photography. I remember that my father first bought me my uh, digital camera and it was a one megapixel uh, camera, which today just sounds ridiculous. You could actually see each pixel. It looked like Lego blocks or something like that. And, you know, as I got older and and as he realized that I was really pursuing this with uh, an intensity and and a seriousness, he revealed to me that he had this incredible collection of of old glass from my grandfather. And so, you know, one day he busts out this box and we open it up and it's just tons of old, really rare lenses. Some were even still shrink-wrapped. And it was just this moment of like finding a treasure chest or something like that. So I began poking around and 
you know, how, how can I use these priceless mint condition vintage lenses? What's the best way I can use them? And it turned out that the, the A7 series was absolutely perfect. And, you know, it can fit anything because it, it kind of has like an old rangefinder feel. But what's really fascinating is combining the new technology with things like focus peaking and the, you know, the electronic viewfinder, combining that stuff with the old glass is just, it creates this machine that is really just a mind-blowing experience to shoot with. You know, when I look at your photography, I find it difficult to to put you into a neat category. Some photographers, you know, very clearly portrait people. Some are uh, landscape people. You tend to, you know, when I look at your photographs, you're you're kind of all over the place. And I don't mean that you're you're scattered as much as diverse. How do you classify yourself as a photographer? You know, I always think of photography as the art of observation, right? So there are advantages to you know hyper specialization. I know that. If you focus on one thing, uh, you can really make a name for yourself and you can really be that go-to guy or, or girl for any particular style. I've noticed over the years, especially on social media, that it becomes very, almost isolates you in these certain crafts. Like I know so many feeds that you look at and it's this almost the same picture over and over and over because people specialize so much. And actually, you know, these algorithms that have been built uh, and designed to distribute all this information, it kind of rewards that repetition. And so the diversity on my feed is is really a conscious effort for me to to try to not let algorithms hijack my creative voice, right? I really want to always be learning, always be evolving, pushing the limits, pushing myself. And I think that the variety in my feed is just a natural extension of that tendency to avoid getting stuck in one particular vertical. You know, it's it's really interesting that you say that about over-specialization because um, I think everyone would agree that when we're looking at at someone's Instagram feed, a lot of very successful uh, Instagram photographers, it really does look like it's the same photo over and over again. And it's a combination, I think, of algorithms, like you're saying, but also I think that there's a certain um, certain tendency to you know to look at your likes and say, well, my audience likes my sunsets, so right. I don't want to keep shooting sunset. I'll try something different. And your likes go way down. You're like, oh, I better go back to sunsets. It's exactly what happens. You know, and it's and it's interesting because it, you know this world that we've been in for the past few years with uh, social media and kind of fragmented media networks. It's it's important to get those numbers and get your name out there, and, and it it's definitely helped me get a lot of work over the past few years. But I try to balance that, you know, with an avoidance of that tendency to say, you know, if I post a portrait, I know I'm only going to get half the likes, but I'm going to post it anyway, because I believe in it. And I think this is good work. And I, and I know going into it that it's going to, it's going to hurt a little, but it's important to, to not be a tied down by all, you know, by the data. It's really a short term pain, but a long term benefit. Exactly. And I think it's, uh, you lose the excitement and passion if you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. I do understand that, you know, if somebody was asking me just straight up, how do I grow the fastest on Instagram? I'd say, find one thing that works and just, just hammer it. But I don't think, I think there's a difference between being a good Instagrammer and being an artist. And I think that it's, I'm always going to err on the side of being an artist. How did you get started in Instagram? As I said before, yeah, I studied psychology at Boston University 
I always wanted to be a photographer and I didn't really find a good option for art school or anything like that. So I thought, you know, psychology is a pretty good foundation. Maybe I'll just do that and then I can focus on my art on the side. And, and I ended up doing that. The second I graduated, I just, you know, put all my stuff in a U-Haul and drove to New York. and was like, you know, if I'm going to be a photographer, I got to be in New York. I love this city. I always was a huge fan of, you know, New York City street photography and all that. And I had this vision that I would just get to New York and I would find exactly, you know, what I wanted to do. And and I would just get after it. And, you know, fortunately enough, after a few months of kind of, you know, wandering and trying to, to break in, I was lucky enough uh, to be hired as a retoucher uh, for Annie Leibowitz, which was probably the best photographic education I could have asked for, um, even if I did go to school. It was my job to take these classic negatives. You know, one example is the Rolling Stone cover of uh, John Lennon and Yoko. And to be holding those negatives and putting them on a flatbed scanner, scanning them in, bringing them into Photoshop and, and you know, taking all the dust and, and little uh, imperfections out and then, you know, running prints and doing color work and all that stuff. So I did that for about a little less than two years and was retouching there. That's right about when Instagram came out. And when Instagram came out, you know, I was like anyone else. I downloaded it. I was uploading pictures of my lunch or some street art I saw on the street, just little details and little sketches and ideas. And I was treating it almost like a little journal, a visual journal. Meanwhile, the whole time I'm shooting, you know, digital work, but nothing that was really captivating me. Then I saw, I was scrolling through the feed one day and I saw this guy called uh, Chris Ozer, who's become a friend. He's a great guy. And I realized that he said, I put up this post in collaboration with PayPal. And there, this light bulb went off in my head and I said, oh, this is, this is a new distribution network. This is a new way to do media and to do visual media. And not only that, it's, it's the perfect way to distribute and engage with and have, have these creative communities surround a craft that I loved. So I really started to dive in and do various projects. I worked with... Um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art on a project called Empty Met that got a little bit of press in the New York Times. Once that article came out, there was a lot more interest in these sort of community organized projects where we bring in photographers and have them create and distribute content on the behalf of brands. And that's pretty much how things got started for me. So, you know, you were talking about a couple things that are really interesting there. One, being a, a good artist versus being a good Instagrammer. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible to be to be both? I absolutely think it's possible to be both. Yeah, I think that what you have to do. Uh, I, I'm gonna, just I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, part of why I'm asking that question is because I think that there's a there's still a feeling among a lot of uh, photographers that you know it is kind of one or the other that this that Instagram is a different world, a different a different arena, and they're they're very separate, and there's a tendency to look down at at mm -hmm. Instagram and at people who are very successful on Instagram as being Instagrammers, not photographers, not artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that everybody's been given the tools to create. And so it creates more, you know, noise than ever. I still think that amazing stuff is being created. I think a whole new generation of photographers has been born. Of course, there's going to be stuff that is cheap and, uh, you know, just for the likes, or maybe it's just a, a bad picture of a really beautiful person. And it, so it gets all these crazy likes, but 
millions and millions and millions of people have been given a voice now. I would argue that we're actually in a renaissance, like a golden age of photography. And I think that there's still incredible artists that have transferred from the old world into this new one. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's some incredible artists that have been born from this, uh, you know, new movement. And I think what's key, and especially, you know, when comparing and contrasting the old, uh, the old world with the new is the craft hasn't necessarily changed so much. I think that the thing that has changed is the medium. Photographers have always relied on distribution. Mm-hmm. What's happened now is that we all have the power to publish, you know, in our pockets. And I think that, you know, some people have made that transition and, you know, look, look at somebody like Steve McCurry, for example, he has a huge distribution network on Instagram now, but he's, he also had this traditional distribution network through National Geographic. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think that you can be both. And of course, I understand that you can look at Instagram and you could pick out all the, all the cheap and and unimpressive work and there's there's more of that than there's good work but there's there's a ton of diamonds in that rough as well yeah and i think the cream still really rises to the top i mean it's not like instagram invented bad photography right you know bad <laughs> photography has coexisted with great photography since photography started indeed yeah you say you create communities and build mm-hmm. communities what do you mean when, by that well I think what's interesting about social media is it's it does represent a new type of communication in the way that it's a two-way street now. Think about a, a traditional photography magazine that would be, you know, sent to you once a month maybe. You can look at the work and it can inspire you. You could you could rip out a page and, you know, tape it to your wall for a mood board or something like that. You could even if you had the motivation, you could find out who that artist is and write them a letter or an email and and maybe build a relationship with that person. What social media has changed is that this is a two-way communication technique. The second I put something out there, all of a sudden I have all these people giving me feedback. It's usually, you know, usually positive feedback. That's not always the case, but there's this community that surrounds each piece of, of work you put up. Meanwhile, that feedback loop of looking at the people's work that you admire every single day, I wake up and I look at hundreds of images from photographers all over the world and I get to interact and engage with them. And that's really the essence of community is interacting with each other, supporting each other, inspiring each other, uh, sharing information, sharing resources, getting together uh, in person. And, and I, so I think that community is built into the very foundation of social media if you use it correctly. How much of your day is spent actually interacting with that community the way you were just describing? It depends on the day. Some, some days I'm busy and it's really hard to get back to people. My goal is to respond to everybody. The analogy I always like to give is imagine if you're standing in a gallery, right? For an artist that you admire. They're standing right in front of you. You know they're there. You know they're reading or looking. And you say, hey, you know, I really like this piece you put up on the wall. You'd, you would expect them to turn to you and say, at least acknowledge that you said something, right? Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, you probably wouldn't really, you know, you might not come back to that gallery or you might not build a relationship with that person because you're like, oh, well, they don't even know who I am. They're ignoring me. So when people comment on my work or, you know, when I comment on other people's work, what I'm really trying to do is, is show that they're 
these social interactions actually exist and they actually mean something and they're very impactful. I mean, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful to the people that support my work because it allows me to work with brands. It allows me to be a photographer for a living, which is, which has been a dream of mine since I was just a kid. I think some people forget about the social sometimes in social media and um, they do look at it as a little bit more of a one way street and the way you're describing it, I mean, that's the key is, is staying social, keeping that interaction is, is part and parcel of social media. Yeah. I I think that's, that's a good way to put it. You know, that makes me think of something that I, I uh, have come to learn, which is this is a photography platform largely, but if you look at my captions, I feel like sometimes not enough people understand that that's half the communication is, is in this caption portion, right? Like if you're a good writer, if you can convey some sort of emotion or feeling in your caption as well, then you have twice the amount of space and twice the amount of impact to, to reach your audience. You know, that brings up another point that I wanted to talk about with you, because when I look at, at your work in particular, you don't seem to be as much of a single image kind of a photographer. You really seem to be working on stories, multiple images around a uh, a theme or an event or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you're really that kind of a, of a storyteller and the captions that you're talking about are a big part of that as well. You're not just putting up a, a pretty picture and saying, here, have a look and let me know what you think and we can interact a little bit. You're doing a story. Yeah. And I think that's because of the way that I approach photography, which is that it is storytelling. I've always loved writing. I think it's one of the reasons I love photography is because it's just another way to convey you know, an emotion or a feeling or, or to, to reach somebody. Some of the most rewarding interactions I've had online have been people, you know, sending me a note and sending me a quote from one of my captions or, or an image and saying, Hey, this, this really hit me. And this, this made me look at the world differently, or it made me act differently or something like that. And I really appreciate that through writing and through sharing images that we can, we can reach over the, over the void and connect with one another. Besides Instagram, what other social media platforms are you especially active in? Recently, I've been using Twitter a lot. I I like Twitter as a place. It almost forces you to distill your thoughts into these little digestible, shareable tidbits. And and recently, I've been enjoying that. Um, I've also been putting a lot more photography up on Twitter, trying to just get... Uh, I don't know, just have a presence on another platform. I think Facebook is another good place. That's where I share a little bit more long, longer form work, as we discussed. If I'll put up one picture on Instagram, if I posted that same set on Facebook, I'm, it might be uh, you know eight to 10 photos or something so that I have a little more room there, a little more leeway. Instagram has really become, I think of it always as like a living, breathing portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. So that comes with the territory where there's, even if there's an image I love just because of, you know, the brand I've built up on Instagram, it seems like there's some things that I'm just not going to post. Mm-hmm. So I like having other outlets. Like I also use Tumblr. DJKrugman.tumblr.com is, is where I put up like sets of 10 images. Exposure is what I built my website on, which is a great platform for storytelling. You can type up whole paragraphs and intersplice them with images and videos and maps and embedded posts. So I really like... I love Instagram for its simplicity, but it's it's also good to use other platforms to tell a, a bit more of a, a deeper story. And I'll let our listeners know that we will have uh, links in the show notes to all of your channels so people can click over and check out everything on their own. Okay, thank you. 
you know, we, we've talked about how being a successful Instagrammer is not necessarily being a successful artist and is also not necessarily about being a successful business person. How is being a social media photographer different from being a traditional photographer business-wise? You know, the thing that immediately comes to mind is that we're not just photographers anymore. You know, we're really, what we're selling is two things. We're selling the photography, we're selling the work, we're selling the rights. That's that's all normal. But we're actually selling media too. And I think this is really one of the first times that the photographers have become their own media channels. And again, you know, I don't think advertising has really changed that much besides the medium in which, you know, these these deals are being made. So I, I think the easiest comparison, because this is a subscription-based service, it's just like magazines, right? If you started a magazine in the 90s and, and you had a circulation of 200,000, you know, subscribers, you're going to sell advertising against that content that you have in your magazine and you're going to make a living off of it. And now what we're seeing is individual photographers are building networks sometimes even larger than that, even larger than 200,000. And and brands are just as eager to be included in that subscription. And I think that that's a really fascinating change and especially a change in the way that people monetize photography. How much of your your business is in shooting, that is in image creation versus, you know, sort of access to your audience. Just what you were talking about, like uh, how a magazine's business model was, you know, rounding up a, an audience for to present to advertisers, and your channels, you know, you're rounding up an audience to present to advertisers. How much is is it, you know, just that that number that that audience? Well, it's interesting as a photographer because th- this is a whole industry, right? And it's not just photographers who are doing this. It's it's models. It's painters, it's it's artists, it's authors, it's poets. Anybody with an audience is is being targeted by agencies and and brands. So, you know, there is a hunger for those eyes and those audiences. But I think the difference between or the the thing that separates the photographers on the platform is that these brands also need the images. You know, they need more than ever before when everybody's carrying around an infinite amount of ad space in their pocket, they need more content than ever before. So what's interesting about the photography aspect is I'm never, I'm never asked or would accept to put up something on my feed that I didn't create. So whenever I get hired, I do get hired to do just content creation sometimes uh, and just make images for for brands or do creative direction or something like that. But I mainly get hired as kind of a package deal. It's, hey, you're going to be our distribution. You're going to be our you know creative director. I'm writing all the copy. I'm doing all these different things. So it's more of a whole package deal usually where a brand says, hey, we want to work with you. We need X amount of images. And then we need you to help us amplify that X amount of times. And then that's how I arrive at my budgets. So you're really working as creative director for your client. Exactly. You're part of the Sony Alpha Imaging Collective. That's correct. Yeah. How did you get involved with Sony? It's funny because just going back to my my thoughts about the adaptability of the Sony system, it's why I, I used to shoot Nikon. The second I picked up the Sony camera, uh, my friend J.N. Silva, Jose, who I think has been on the podcast before. Yeah, he was one of our guests. Um, he, he's a great friend of mine. And, uh, you know, he let me shoot with his camera a little bit. And I was really intrigued. So when I got my own, you know, I just went out and bought it. And, and I immediately fell in love with it. And, and with uh, using all the old glass and the focus peaking and, and everything else, I've said, you know, the quality of the video, 
the lightness of it where I can just sling it over my shoulder and go out, you know, where I, normally my heavy DSLR would just stay at home unless I had a shoot. So I really just fell in love with it naturally for, for the type of photography that I wanted to do. As I kept shooting and, and getting closer and closer with the people at Sony, you know, we started to work together a lot and, and it just seemed like a natural fit to uh, join the collective as a founding member. What Sony gear do you, uh, do you use primarily? So right now I shoot mainly with the Sony a7R2. I've been loving the G Master series. Uh, the 24 to 70 has been staying on my on the body a lot. It's just a very versatile, you know, got a great crisp wide at 24. And then at 70, it's a great portrait lens. It also, I can even push it into nearing macro work for some of the nature stuff I did recently. You know, I can really do everything without switching uh, the lens off the body. The Zeiss 35 1.4 is a great lens. It's just like really bright, fast. It's just got a great look. It has a great fall off. So I love that lens as well. Those are probably my two go-tos. And then, you know, as I mentioned before, I use all sorts of old vintage stuff as well. As part of the collective, you've been doing some meetups and some photo walks, especially in and around New York. Tell me a little bit about what those are like. There's something really special about photo meetups and walks, especially in the age of social media. It's so easy to just sit and look through your phone and feel like you're part of, you know, this online community. But it really isn't until you go out and, and connect with people in person that that actually makes a difference in your life. It can be very isolating to, to be on social media. It might seem counterintuitive, but... I think meetups are a way to really just like put the phone down for a second and go out and, you know, look other people in the eye and, and really connect with people. So the meetups are great. Over the years, we've had meetups where we have, you know, 300, 350 people come out just, just for the love of photography. And, you know, at those meetups, it's this incredible cross-pollination of ideas and, and peop, you know, relationships and creativity and new friend groups form. And maybe somebody gets a big contract from you know a company and then they help you know they bring on their friends to assist them and then all these little creative communities get all this incredible support and it's just something that over the years it's completely changed my perspective on photography where when I first started photography it always felt like a solitary craft like you know a man in a camera just kind of wandering through the world and observing <laughs> things and and now it just seems like it's such a collaborative an engaging way to to meet new people and and to have great new experiences in the world. The way you're describing it, it's something that you you get to do, not something that you have to do. Oh, definitely. It's it's one of the greatest joys of my life to be able to uh, bring people together and and uh, share my love for photography. And it's it's really it means the world to me. So I, I, I'm speaking very honestly about all that. You can find links to Dave's Instagram account, his website, and his other social channels in the show notes at alphauniverse.com. Dave will be back in a few minutes with a do this now tip for boosting your social media presence. The latest Sony cameras are multi-talented. Able to shoot extraordinarily high-res stills as well as exceptional 4K video footage, cameras like the a6500 actually capture at a higher video resolution and then downsample the images. To find out more about how this works and why Sony does it this way, I spoke with LD Nadia at Sony headquarters in San Diego. 
Today I'm speaking with Eldine Nadia at Sony's headquarters in San Diego. And Eldine, thanks very much for joining us again on the Alpha Universe podcast. Great. Thanks for having me again. Eldine, I want to talk about uh, 4K video capture and how the, the Sony cameras are capturing 4K and how they are, in essence, downsampling a full-frame image into uh, the 4K file. Okay, so I, I need to clarify what you mean by downsampling. Um, and, and I'm not sure if you, you, if you mean that some of the cameras are oversampling a high-resolution image or if they're compressing an image to downsample it. Well, actually, could you explain the difference between the two? Okay. So, first of all, when you have a look at a lot of the uh, full-frame cameras, the A7 series, A7R2, A7S2, etc., um, you know, they're capturing the full width of the sensor, and there is a tremendous amount of data on those uh, sensors. For instance, the A7R Mark II is 42.4 megapixels. Um, you only need 8 megapixels for 4K. So what the camera is doing is, is capturing the full width of that sensor, you know, cutting off the top and bottom because it's 16 by 9 versus 3-2 aspect ratio. Um, but it captures the full width in every single pixel in the full width plus without, you know, line skipping pixel binning in, in some cases. Um, and you're getting way more data than what you actually require. And what the camera then does is it takes all that data and the gradation and all those pixels and it compresses it into a, uh, or, or processes it into a 4K image that you get at the end of the day. The benefit is that you get very clean looking 4K uh, images with very uh, good gradation and um, you know a lot of detail in highlights and shadows, so a lot of dynamic range. Now, in the case when you're shooting in Super 35 mode on those cameras, <clears throat> specifically when you're shooting on a camera like the A6300 or A6500, now the very unique thing with those two cameras, the A6300 and A6500, is that they are APS-C size sensors. And when you crop the top and bottom um, in order to get your 16 by 9 format, the full width of that sensor is equivalent to a Super 35 video camera, which is what they use in motion picture production. And most of the motion picture cameras that are using PL or, uh, you know, Panavision lenses and that type of thing that you, you know, seeing all your favorite Hollywood films in the cinemas are, are typically that Super 35 format. And the unique thing with these two cameras is they're 24 megapixels and they actually capture the full uh, uh, pixel readout of that camera, which is essentially 6K. So these cameras are really capturing a 6K image. And then instead of downsampling, what they're doing is they're oversampling that data. And then they're recording that as a 4K image. So you're actually getting a lot more data than what you typically get out of a 4K sensor. You're actually getting 6K oversampled and then recorded at 4K. And that really results in extremely uh, fine and detailed 4K uh, image with very, very true to life um, color and very true to life uh, accuracy in terms of you know the sharpness of edges and um, the look and feel of the actual uh, image. Thanks so much, Eldine. All right, thank you. Do you have a question about Sony mirrorless cameras and lenses? Go to the Alpha Universe Facebook page to send your questions our way. You can find a link in the podcast show notes at alphauniverse.com. Dave Krugman is active in several social media platforms. Whether it's Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, or his own blog, he looks for each platform's strengths and develops content for those strengths. 
In our Do This Now segment, Dave offers up some advice for building your social media presence. We're back with Dave Krugman. And Dave, for our listeners looking to boost their social media presence, what's a Do This Now tip, something that can really make an immediate impact that you would recommend? You know, there's so many different techniques and things that people will tell you in order to grow your social media following. I think the number one thing that you can do is network. And that comes in two kind of flavors. One is online. You know, go out there and, and don't be afraid to, to leave comments and, and to be engaged in these online communities. Every time you say something on anybody's feed, you're distributing your, your name, which links right back to your portfolio. So the, the more presence you can have in this ecosystem, you know, the more will come back to you. But it's not enough to just do that because that's a lonely way to live and you'll be staring at your phone all the time. Network in real, in real life, you know, reach out to somebody who you admire and say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, let's meet up sometime. I, I want to just shadow you or, or, or walk with you, or maybe reach out to a model who's trying to build her portfolio and say, Hey, let's get together and let's go make some work. You're going to get better. Every time you shoot, you're going to meet new people. They're going to introduce you to their friends. And all of a sudden you're going to have this incredible community of people that, that will hold you up and, and boost you. And just really, you'll find that there's a whole world out there for you to be a part of. And I think that networking, putting yourself out there and maybe uh, just not being shy about it is, is the biggest tip you could possibly have for growing on social media. It's great advice. Thanks very much, Dave. Thank you. And thanks again for joining us. It's really been a pleasure to have you today on the podcast. The pleasure is all mine. Thanks for tuning into the Alpha Universe podcast. Join me next time when my guest will be the nomad filmmaker, Brandon Lee. You can find the show notes for this episode at alphauniverse.com. Subscribe to the Alpha Universe podcast at iTunes or in the podcast app on your smartphone or tablet.